Last week we talked about if God be for us, who can be against us, right? We talked about that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And you remember what we said, if anyone is, who cares, right? Well, this week we're going to go just to the very next verse. And so at this pace, we're going to end, you know, you know, we're going to get through the book of Revelation, you know, in, you know, 700 years. But, uh, you know, going a verse at a time. But this passage is so rich. It is so rich with information. And it so speaks to what it is that we are dealing with right now um, that I wanted to share it with you. It says in verse um, 31 of what we said last week, what, shall we, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We're in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The word spared there, it's used in one other place. There's a book called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is basically um, 70 Jewish scholars got together. That's where the Septuagint comes in. 70 Jewish scholars got together and they took the New Testament and they wanted to put the, the Old Testament into the language, into Greek, into the New Testament and make it all Greek. And so the Septuagint is just that. The Septuagint is in all Greek, whereas where the Old Testament was written, it was written in Hebrew and some in Arabic and and a little bit in Chaldean. Most of it was written in Hebrew uh, and not Greek. And so as the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek in the language of the day. And so these 70 scholars got together and said, hey, why don't we bring the Old Testament language into the New Testament language, into the language that we are aware of and that everybody can understand. That's Greek. Let's bring it all Greek. I mean, it's all Greek to me. You knew that was coming, right? But here's the thing. They brought these words and they translated these words. And the interesting thing about that, and the reason I say that is that in the Septuagint, there's only one place that we see back in the Hebrew in the Old Testament where this word used. He, who, he that spared not his own son. He who did not spare his own son. That word spare there is a word in the Septuagint that is only used in one other place. And that other place is in the book of Genesis. When Abraham took his son up onto Mount Calvary, well, it was called Mount Moriah back in that day. But what we know Mount Moriah as, and this might come as a shock to some of you, but we've heard the story of Abraham, right? We've heard how Abraham took his son, his only son. God called him to take his one and only son up on this mountain to a place that he would show him. And so he took off on a journey. And as he took off on that journey, God showed him what mountain to go to. What mount to go to. It wasn't a mountain, it's a hill. He showed him which mount to go to. And as Abraham walked up this mount, it's Mount Moriah. And he had him build an altar up there and he laid his son, Isaac, on that altar. And he said, now I want you to take a knife and I want you to plunge the knife into the heart of your son. You remember it was Abraham that had a desire and his wife Sarah had a desire to have kids. And at 90 years old, 
Sarah finally had a kid. His name was Isaac. If you waited that long, I know Lynette and I, we wanted a child for a long time and we had a couple miscarriages on the way and then Nathan came and, and it was something that was so desperate. We so desperately wanted a child. I uh, can't figure out why now, but I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just messing. I love that kid. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, I would do anything for him. I love him. He's my son. But I had to wait 33 years. Abraham had to wait a hundred years for his firstborn. Sarah, 90 years for her firstborn. How much do you think they loved Isaac? A lot. So much so that Isaac could have almost become an idol to them. And God called Abraham to take Isaac up onto this place where he would show him, take your son, your only son, to a place that I will show you. And so what What God did is he led Abraham to a mount and this mount that he led him to was called Mount Moriah who we would find out later, 4,000 years later, was a place that we now call Mount Calvary. Did you know that? Mount Moriah is the same exact mount that Jesus Christ hung on a cross. Isn't that wild? It is. But if you know the story of Abraham and Isaac, here's the thing. Isaac, take your son. Take this thing that can potentially to you, Abraham and Sarah, become an idol. Take this thing that is so precious in your eyes, so so precious that you waited a hundred years for, you so desperately wanted this. And here, take him up on this mount and, and build a sacrifice there and offer your son there. And you remember that Abraham, he, he said to uh, Abraham long before, he says, Abraham, through your son, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham had faith. Do not mistake and misunderstand what God was calling Abraham to do. Was God calling Abraham to kill his son? Well, he was. He was. Does, does, does God propagate murdering our kids? No. God was teaching Abraham a lesson. There's something that God is going to do in this. And so he asked Abraham to do something that was so far out of the ordinary. But what he had done in Abraham's life is that he had said, Abraham, here's what I want. I want you to take your son, your only son, up onto the mountain, sacrifice him there. But there's something that Abraham said that would cause him to remember back what God had promised before, Abra- before Isaac ever was born, before he was ever conceived. And that was this, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And in your son, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Here's the thing. Through your son, I'm going to make through that son your lineage as, as innumerable as, 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 as numbers as the, the stars in the sky was Abraham takes Isaac up there. Isaac is a young boy. He doesn't have any kids yet. And so as Abraham is taking his son up there, they have a couple of servants that are putting some wood. You know, they're carrying the wood. And and all of a sudden, Abraham says, okay, you servants stay here. Let's place the wood upon my son's back. And he'll carry it up with us. And I'll take the fire. 
And he said to the servants, The lad and I will go and worship. And do not miss this. He says, And we will come back to you. He didn't say, And I'll come back to you. And we will come back to you. God had called Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. Why is Abraham using the word we? Was it a slip of the tongue? I don't think so. Not one minute. I think that not for one minute do I believe that Abraham had a slip of the tongue. I believe that Abraham trusted God. He believed that God's words were, through your son, I'm going to make a nation. Through your son, I'm going to give you a lineage, Abraham. And at this point in Isaac's life, he didn't have any kids. It was impossible for that to happen if, Abraham, or if Isaac was dead. And so Abraham is going, I don't understand how God is going to do this. I do understand that God has called me to something that is not, doesn't make sense to me. But I will move forward trusting that God has a plan. And so as he takes the wood, interestingly enough, and places it upon his son's back, and they begin to walk... What was placed upon the back of Jesus? The cross, the wood. And as they walked up the hill, his son said, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire. We have the knife. But what I do not see, Dad, is the sacrifice. And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now, I know some of your Bibles are going to say God will provide for himself a sacrifice, but that word for in there is not there. It's a a translation to try to help you understand a little bit better what was was trying to be uh, said there, but that's not what was being said here. God is not going to provide just an animal for himself. He says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Why? Because I believe that it's looking 4,000 years into the future that God will provide himself in his son, Jesus Christ, a sacrifice. It's, again, not a slip of the tongue. And so they go up. They build the altar. And I, I, I mean, if I sit here and I think too much about this and I, I, I teach too much on this, I will become a blubbering idiot right here. I will begin to weep. I will begin to cry. And I think you would too. If you sit there and you think, what is the one thing that you love in life? What is that one person that you love so much in life? And you think, man, I don't know if I can live without them. Here's the thing. God has now called me to place them up on an altar and tie them down on these sticks and to kill it. I, I don't understand. Now, here's the thing. Abraham's an old man. His son, Isaac, is a young man. Some believe somewhere around 15, 16, 17 years old. If I'm 100 years old, my son right now thinks he can take me. He can't. (laughs) But there's coming a day. In fact, it's coming really quick. Because, you know, I, I, I put up this false bravado that, buddy, hey, you know, now here I'm giving it, you know, insight into his ears. He's going to test me on this, I'm sure, you know. Don't mess with me because you don't want the consequences of you messing with me. I'll, you know, whip you like a wet noodle, you know, something like that, you know. And, and, and so maybe I have a little bit of a mental edge on him right now, but he's getting stronger. He's getting stronger. I can still whoop him. It's my goal in life is to always be able to whoop him. 
But here's the thing. I know that there's coming a day it's not going to happen. He's going to be able to just throw me around like a little kid. Uh, That's why I'm heavy. (laughs) Here's the thing. He, yeah, that's a poor excuse. (laughs) Listen, listen. Isaac got on that altar. You think for one minute that Isaac couldn't have said, Dad, you are nuts. You want me up there? You're going to tie me onto that thing? I see what happens on that wood all the time. You thrust a knife through the heart of the the animal that you put up there, and then you set it on fire, and and you consume it. And right now you're asking me to go up there, and you're going to tie my arms down and tie my legs down? and tie my torso down? You're going to tie me down to that? You are a crazy one old man. I am out of here. But I didn't say that Isaac did that. What Isaac did is he, he got up on the altar and he allowed his dad to tie him down. And I'm sure that I, Abraham took all the time in the world, every bit of time, every last moment, every last second that he could take until he knew that he would almost be in absolute disobedience before the Lord before he finally pulled the knife out and said, okay, here it is. My son, I love you. I love you. I love you. And he raises the knife and he's about to thrust it down into his son. And the Lord says, Abraham, stop. Probably the most freeing words, most awesome words he's ever heard in his life. And God said to him, Abraham, because you are willing not to spare your own son, there's that word, I know that there is nothing that you would not do for me. Abraham, take a look over, you know, over there. What do you see over there? There's a ram caught in a thicket. Go over and grab that ram and untie your son. Bring that ram over, tie him up, and you can use that as the offering. Abraham spared not his own son. God did not spare his own son. And we look at that story and we go, I mean... Don't you at the end of that where you go, a ram caught in a thicket, God, you know, God said to Abraham, Abraham, stop. And we go, ah, ah. I mean, we we're built up to this crescendo and we go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, good, good. God stepped in and he rescued. He rescued. Oh, good. He got it. He stopped it. Stopped it just in time. God stopped just in time. Wow. Wow, what a lesson that was. All right, let's move on into chapter 23. But understand this. God stopped it right then. 4,000 years later, he was not going to stop it. God was in the position of Abraham. And his son, Jesus Christ, was in the position of Isaac. And though God had the ability to spare his own son, he did not spare his own son. He died right before his father. So the joy and the jubilation of, wow, great, wonderful, and the, 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 the breath of fresh air, oh, good, Abraham didn't have to kill his son. God showed that there was a picture that somewhere down the road, 
he was going to do the very same thing on the very same mountain, much in the same manner that his own son was killed on that, on that same mount, Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary. I paint this picture because here's the thing. It says that he did not spare his own son. I want you to understand this. It, this, this passage or this verse is precipitated by, is preceded by, if God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but he delivered him up for us all. Here God's saying, you can be sure that because I gave you my son, there's nothing in this world that I will not and cannot do for you. I will go to the ends of the earth. I'm God. I will do those things. But I will only do those things of what is best for you. For when Christ died on a cross, it was for the best for you and for me. Do you agree? Do you understand that? Do we understand that? It was for his purpose. And we would look upon that. And do you think that Mary is not at the foot of the cross? Do you think that John is not at the foot of the cross and the other Mary is at the foot of the cross and the disciples off in a distance sitting there shaking and their knees are knocking together and they can't believe what's going on and they see Jesus hanging on a cross and they're just going, He's going to do the miracle. He's going to come down. He's going to come down. He's going to come down. Please don't do this anymore. Please don't hit him. Please don't strike him those 39 times with the, those 40 you know, whips with the, with the cat of nine tails, with the flagrum. Don't whip him with that thing 40 minus one times. Don't beat him and don't put that crown of thorn on his head. Please don't do that. Just make it all right, Jesus. Make it all right, please. And, and they're sitting there going, no, stop, stop, stop. And yet, God... This has to be your will. God, please stop these men from doing this. How much do you think that they prayed that? I think that they probably prayed that a lot. God, this isn't making sense. He's your son. He's the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He does wonderful things. He's done miracles after miracles. We understand that he is your son. We see that he is God in human flesh. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why? And they were being mocked. Indirectly, as they were mocking Christ, they were saying, listen, if you're really God, if you're really the Son of God, take yourself down from the cross. Even the thieves got into it. Hey, listen, if you really are who they're saying you are, take yourself off the cross, save yourself, and then save us. And so everything is not making sense. And yet, it was in God's best interest to put His Son on the cross, to allow His Son to go on a cross to die. Why? Why would God go through such an exercise? Why would God allow such a thing? Because he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. I I want you to really understand the weight of that understanding. He did that for you and he did that for me. I believe that Jesus, being God in human flesh, has the capacity to know all things. I believe that his mind worked far greater than my mind or your mind. And I believe that in, in 
God in human flesh, he could be in all places at one time. I believe he's omniscient. I believe he's omnipresent. I believe that even as Jesus Christ, he knew on the cross your face. Oh, that's impossible. Nobody could do that except, well, God. Yeah, God could do that. I think your face raced before him. Can I take one more lash for Don? Yes, I'll do it. I want him in heaven. It's for this punishment that I am enduring so that Don will go to heaven. He can't do it on his own. I've got to step in and do it for him. It's for this reason. It's for Jesse. It's for Andy. It's for Meredith. It's for Lynette. It's for Kelly. It's for and and he's thinking this. I believe he's looking and thinking about you as he endures the punishment. And he goes through with it. And all the disciples and even the mother of Jesus, Mary, is sitting there going, "This doesn't make sense. I don't understand." Why, God, would you ever allow such a thing to happen? I think doubt started coming into some of their heads? Probably. I don't know. I didn't understand. How many times in your life do things happen where you're going, this just does not make sense? I mean, if God is who he thinks he, if God is really who he says he is, if God really wants this to happen, why would he allow this to happen in my life? Paul says, hey, if God is for you, who can be against you? And you might sit there and go, it doesn't seem like God is for me because look at the travail that I'm in. Look at the tribulation that I'm in. Look at this trial that I am enduring and it is a hard one. How could he possibly ever get glory out of this? I can't even pretend to give you an answer other than this. I don't know. But I don't know God's mind. I know this. I would be asking those same questions at the foot of the cross. And until I understood what the whole of the word of God under, what what the whole of the word of God says, I never would have understood the cross. But now I do. I do see God's plan. I do see God's handiwork. And you know what? Whether you see the reasons in your life, why you go through such extreme times in your life and what have you here on the earth, or whether you don't, whether you see them in heaven, I will tell you this, I don't care what you're going through, in heaven, one day you're going to understand, oh my goodness, Lord, it now all makes sense. It was for the best. It doesn't make sense to me today. It doesn't make sense. I would never do it this way. There must be another way. And yet, as Jesus said, Father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass from me, let it, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it's in that that that's a prayer for you and I. Father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass, let it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Those are the hard, that's the hardest prayer for us to pray, isn't it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't understand, but I am going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with my life. He that spared not his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Embedded in this phrase, all things is the idea of good things. All good things. Think about it. All good things. 
All good things. In other words, if it's a good thing, God is going to give it to you because he already gave you the best that he had in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We see that and we go, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? Give us all things. Give us all things. And then we think back on, and you can jot this note down, jot this scripture down. You can go back into Matthew chapter 7. And I'm not going to have you turn to it because I've got to hurry here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus, his words are this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will actually give his son a stone? Or if his son asks for a fish, will his father give him a serpent? Now those are, are, are uh, what's the term that I'm trying to use? It's uh, rhetorical questions. Those are rhetorical questions. They, they, which a rhetorical question literally means there's an obvious answer. Will a father do that? Absolutely not. That's what rhetorical means. Absolutely not will that happen. And so Jesus goes on, he says, if you guys then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Okay, so Jesus says, ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and I'll find. Knock, and it'll be open. How do we ask? How do we seek? How do we knock? It's through prayer. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus it, it was walking along one morning with His disciples in tow, and they, He was hungry. And he came upon, you remember this story? He came upon a fig tree along the side of a road, and he went over there and he began to examine the fig tree, trying to find some fruit on the fig tree, and all that he saw, that, that, all that it was was just a leafy tree. There was no figs on it. In the season that it should have been bearing fruit, it was not bearing fruit, and so he found a fruitless fig tree. And what Jesus said to that fig tree, you remember there in chapter uh, 22 of, of Matthew, he says, um, Jesus said to the tree, let no fruit grow on you ever again. What a horrible thing to hear for, as a tree, right? You're a tree, you're just sitting there, happy, dumb, and happy, or, you know, fat, dumb, and happy out there, leafy, dumb, and happy. And, and Jesus comes along, and he looks for some fruit, and you don't have anything to give him. And so Jesus goes, let no fruit ever grow on you again. That tree got depressed. It did, because look, it says, the tree immediately withered away. It immediately withered away, so much so that the disciples were freaking out when this happened. And those are my words. But Jesus said to, they asked asked Jesus, they said, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? In verse 21 and 22, Jesus says, so Jesus answered them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And listen, all things, all things, Whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Going back to Act, or to Romans chapter 8, verse 32, who you did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so we look at this and we think, wow, is that what prayer is? Do we pray in order to get a bunch of stuff? Why do we pray? 
Jesus said to ask and it'll be given. If you don't doubt. In fact, he talks about it in John chapter 14, verse 14. He says, listen, anything you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. And so what's the catch? Literally, I read that passage one time. Um, I, I lived in California my whole life, and I lived right at the base of the mountains in, in Southern California, and, and there was all these mountains all around. And, and, and I was sitting there one day, and right when it was a time where the Lord really grabbed a hold of my life, and I was sitting out there, and I'm just going, I believe that, Lord, that you, if I have enough faith, you could move mountains. You, you said, here's his words, he says, listen, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And so I thought, Lord, I believe. This mountain right in front of me, into the Pacific. Now. And it didn't move. I mean, there was, no, there was not even a little earthquake. I went, Okay, I must not be faithful enough. I'm going to have more faith. Now. And it didn't move. And I kind of got discouraged. I did that for a little bit, and I, and, and I probably looked weird standing out in my front street looking at that mountain over there. It just so happened to be that that was the same exact mountain I ended up going to Bible college on. <laughs> I was just a, I was just younger, you know. I was, well, I'm not a kid. I was 28 years old. I'm 28 years old doing this. You think I'd have more brains? But I'm sitting there, and I'm just wanting to trust the Lord. I'm wanting God to show me, yes, this is who I am. Then I'm going to be faithful to my word, and you heard it. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what you want me to do, Don. So I want you to uproot that mountain. And I got discouraged, and I went back inside, and I kind of struggled with it for a little bit until the Lord just kind of in a time by myself. I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, but the Lord he began to kind of touch my heart. And he said, now, Don, I know I didn't uproot that mountain. I don't have to prove to you that I can do what it is that I say I can do. Simply to perform for you like a circus act. But, Don, just think about this. If I would have done that, how many thousands of lives would have drowned how many thousands of lives would have perished that day simply so that you could see my power? There's people living on those mountains, Don. There's people whose livelihoods are on that mountain. You want me to lift that mountain, throw it in the ocean just simply to show you that I am who I am. I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, I guess that was kind of stupid, wasn't it, Lord? Okay, how about if you move a rock? You know, it, 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 You go down the stupid roads now, okay? You know, you just stop. I am who I am. I am who I am. And so we have to ask these questions. And here I want to end uh, real quick here. And that is this. Listen. How is it that when we ask? How is it that when we pray? How is it that God can say, I will give you all things? There, there's a key there. There's a key there. If you ask in my name. If you ask in faith, whose faith are we talking about there? Galatians, Paul talks about that in Galatians, or, or, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you have been saved by faith and that not even of, for by grace you've been saved through faith, through faith, 
And that, not even of yourself, it's a gift of God. So the faith that you have is a gift that God gives to you. And so the faith that I have is a faith that I must, it must be generated in me in my absolute, utter surrender to the Lord. I surrender all. It's a surrender to the Lord. And I'm going to just finish here and then we're going to get into a time of prayer here real quick. But here's the thing. Know this. One of the reasons why we struggle with praying and we don't get... Here's what James says. James chapter 4. Let me read it to you real quick. James chapter 4. He says this. Beginning in verse 2, the second half of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes him himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, uh, jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, listen, submit to God. James is now imploring you. He's imploring me. He's encouraging us. He's exhorting us. He's saying, listen, you want to ask and receive? You want you want to have a relationship with the Lord? You want to have that? Here is the clue. Here is the clue. Submit to God. Surrender to God, he's saying. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. That's not really what we like to hear, is it? I don't think you're going to hear that in Houston. From Osteen's church. Lament, mourn, and weep. No, because it's your happy life now. We want to smile. No, James is going, when's the last time you lamented and mourned and weep over your sin? That's the man, that's the woman that God is wanting to reach into their heart and begin to do work and minister to. It's the one who can honestly see their sin before him. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Not a popular verse there. And your joy, let it be turned into gloom. In fact, James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then he will lift you up. It's not about your happiness here on the earth. It's not about your contentment here on the earth. It's not about the things that you want in this life. What it comes down to is what James says, the key is this, draw near to the Lord. Submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself. Here's what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. You know what Jesus says? You must first deny. There's, there's, there's a formula. You want to follow after Jesus? You want to live a life of Christ? Here's the thing. Here's your first, your first instruction. Deny. Okay, deny. All right, deny yourself. All right, I'll deny myself. And then Jesus says, now take up your cross. So Jesus goes, yeah, denying is not just going to get it for you because here's the thing. I know you. 
You need to die. You need to die to yourself. Deny, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That doesn't mean just simply to walk around with a cross on your back. But it means to actually get yourself on that cross and die to your flesh. Die to you. Die to who it is that you are so that you can now follow the Lord. Now, that, to that, the, the world doesn't like that. Because we love us too much. We love who we are. We want satisfaction. We want entertainment. We want something that's going to fill us up. Here's the thing. Jesus says, you aren't going to be following me then. You've got to first deny, and then you need to die. <coughs> Paul got that lesson. He figured it out. You remember we talked about this many weeks ago when we were in, John, or in uh, Romans chapter 7. Verses 16 through 24. You remember Paul? He has this big grappling, this struggle that he has in life. He's going, man, the things that I will to do, those are the things I don't do. The things that I will not to do, those are the very things I find myself practicing. He says, I'm a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, oh, man, I got the key. I got the, I got the answer. The answer is this. I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I died. In fact, he spells it out in Galatians chapter 2.20, doesn't he? Paul says this. You want the key? Here's the key. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here's the point, fellas and gals. We must die to us in order to follow the Lord. Your prayers, are they hindered? Is it because... Your prayers are for you? Lord, I just, I just really, really, really pray for that black Range Rover. I need it. I'll take people to church in it. Give me that extended cab. I'll actually take a couple more. Totally can do it. Lord, you put a boat on the back. We can go out after church. And Lord, that house, I need that big house. 21 rooms. Lord, I'll pick up homeless people and bring them in. And, and, and you, you, you make deals with the Lord because you want something and, and then you don't get it and you go, ah, yeah, I tried that. I was just speaking with a guy this last week and he was saying, you know, uh, what do you say to a person who says, man, I tried Jesus. I tried that. And it didn't work for me. Can I just say, they never found the tombstone. They never found the tombstone. They never died. They never denied and died in order so they could fly. Deny and die and fly, I guess. I don't know. There's a word. Here's the thing. They never came to a place where they died, where life ceased to be about them. Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3, or in verses 1 through 3, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Why? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You getting a clue here? We getting a clue of what it's all about? I've made it about me. I don't want it to be about me anymore. So God, change me. Show me the person that you want me to be. And now, Lord, I'm, I'm bringing out prayer and where it is in my prayer that is not in line with you then lord overstep oversee show me how i can pray more in line with your will god help me to pray more in line with your will 